All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of James. James chapter 2. This evening, we're going to look at a what is sometimes considered a problem passage. Um, my understanding, I've not verified this, I don't speak German, but uh, my understanding is that Martin Luther, when he was uh, translating the Bible into German, did not include the book of James because of what we're going to read in James chapter 2. Because, of course, Martin Luther, what began the, one of the main things that began the Reformation was the Bible doctrine that was always in the Bible from the beginning. You know, it didn't start in the Reformation like people sometimes describe. But what he came to understand in his position in place was the, uh, the doctrine of justification by faith. And uh, that is not something that the prevailing religion of his day believed and taught. And uh, so he read the book of James and, and kind of he thought that it was teaching something different than, uh, than what he had come to accept that the Bible taught, which he was right. The Bible does teach justification by faith. We are made righteous before God, right? Righteous before God. That's what just means, to be made right in the sight of God by our faith and only our faith in Christ and what He has done for us. That's what the Bible says. It has nothing to do whatsoever with any religious works or keeping laws or rules or regulations. It is, all, it is all solely based upon Christ and our trust in Him. That's what it means to be justified by faith. And when we believe in Christ in that way, uh, then God counts us righteous. Though we are not righteous, He gives us righteousness, His own righteousness. You say, well, that's not fair. You didn't do anything for it. No, it's grace. Agreed, it's not fair. If we got fair, we would have no righteousness ever <laughs> if we got fair. But I'm glad, aren't you, that God does not give us what is fair. He gives us grace. He gives us that which is not fair. But it's open to all. So we're going to read the book of James, starting in verse number 14 of the book down through verse number 26. So let's read it together, and then we'll, we'll uh, pray uh, uh, before we get into the message here. Verse 14 of James 2 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? 
Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for your presence among us. Lord, that we are confident. We know we have seen the evidence in our lives that your spirit is in us. Your presence is with us. Thank you for your presence being with us and in our church. Thank you for each and every person here and each and every person that is listening that can't be here. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we just ask you, even now, that you would teach us. You would help us to understand your word and apply it uh, to our lives, that we would profit by it. Lord, help us to take heed to the warnings of those that teach error. Uh, Help us, Lord, to avoid those, but embrace the truth. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to meet together this evening. I pray, Lord, that this time would be profitable and helpful and encouraging to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. What you have in this is obviously it jumps out. If you've read the Bible at all, it jumps out. What jumps out is these, these gotcha verses, like verse number 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So, of course, we read that verse and, and it might be used and some might, some might obviously have a, have a problem with that and see a contradiction between things such as Romans chapter 4 or Galatians chapter 2 or Galatians chapter 3 where the Bible very clearly teaches that by faith a man is justified and, and a woman and not by, not by the works of the law. So we combine those two things and we ask ourselves, how can we reconcile these? What is the answer between these two things? And there is an answer. There is an answer. And the answer is actually related. What, what brought this, this chapter to my mind was uh, when we saw Peter this morning, when he was uh, getting ready to step out of the boat, and he asked the Lord to bid him to come out and walk on the water, And the Lord said, come, and then he went. And of course, we know Peter's faith kind of, it shrank, right? His faith kind of shrank a little bit, but he did have faith enough to step out of the boat and go to Jesus. And he, of course, sank according to his faith, right? So, uh, but what you did see is Peter's faith acted. That's the key. Peter's faith acted. And that's similar to what we see in James chapter 2, verse 14. Now, to back up what James is saying, James is saying a man is justified by works as well as faith. That's, that's what he's saying in a nutshell. So let's kind of unpack it. In this chapter, there are three examples given in this section, 14 to 26. There are three examples given for James, James's argument. Number one is... The, in verse 14, verse 15 and 16, James gives an example of someone who is destitute and poor and the kind words and nice sounding words that one might give to this person, but not follow through and give them any actual help 
to supply their needs. What's interesting in, in verse 15 is this, when we talk about a poor person, now this might, you know, listen, we, we got to follow what the Bible says, right? Because everybody these days that wants to call themselves poor calls themselves poor, but there's a very, very small sliver of people who are actually poor. And what I mean by actually is biblically poor. And not everyone that says they're poor is biblically poor. Just because your house is not as nice as another person's house doesn't mean you're poor or smaller or not in good repair. That doesn't mean that you're poor. Just because you don't have as much money or as many comforts and amenities as another person doesn't mean poor. This is poor. Destitute of uh, naked and destitute of food. That's food and clothing. That's the biblical definition of poor. Without food, without clothing. Well, that narrows it down to a very, a very small group indeed. But this is the first example. It's words, nice words said to the poor. And then the second example given is of Abraham. And the, the issue, of course, Abraham is the prime example of, uh, that God gives in Genesis, in, in Romans, and in other places, Galatians, of a man who was justified by faith. He believed in the Lord and God counted his faith as righteousness. And then the third example we saw is toward the end of the chapter is, is Rahab. Uh, and so, uh, but what I want you to see before we look at each one of these examples is this. What you have in the chapter in verse number 17, verse number 20, and verse number 26, let's read those. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now, be a, be, a, be, a, be a little grammarian right now, okay? Read the words of this, of this sentence and make sure you can pick out what the subject is and what's being said without all the, all the other information, all right? Even so, faith. All right, faith is the subject of this sentence. If it hath not works, is parenthetical information. Even so, faith is... That's the verb, dead. You know, this, this statement is only making a very simple statement. This, this statement is also mentioned in verse 20. It says, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Again, faith is dead. You see that? That's the grammar. Faith is the subject, is dead. Then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Faith is dead. That's what these three verses are saying, in essence. These three verses are not saying, these three verses and this, this passage is not saying, you have to believe in Christ and there's a whole bunch of other things you have to do also or you'll ultimately go to hell, <laughs> which is how it's used often. It is not saying you have to believe and then do a bunch of other things in addition to your faith and once you've done both of those things combined, your, your works help your faith to complete your salvation. And then once you've done all of that for the rest of your life, then in the final outcome, you're saved. That is not what this, this passage is teaching. You know what it's teaching? It is giving a description of faith. It's really not even talking about works. It's talking about faith. That's why in those three sentences in 17, 20, and 26, it says, faith is Dead. So this is just a description of dead faith. That's it. This kind of faith is dead. 
This kind of faith is dead. This is an assessment of the character of this type of faith described in this chapter. It is just a statement of the the character of this faith. That's why we see in verse 14, it says, this is a kind of a catchy phrase. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, if I were to take that out of the context, and I were to ask Sister Karen or Brother Joseph or Sister Judy, and I was to say, can faith save you? Your answer would be yes. But that's not the faith we're talking about here. Now, is it? We're talking about a particular kind of faith. It's the faith that is dead. That kind of faith. That faith can't save you. That faith cannot save you. Because it's dead faith. Oh, so there's two different kinds of faith. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. There is living faith and there is dead faith. This chapter is not talking about so much living faith, although it's, it's talking about living faith by example, but its main teaching is about dead faith and what it is. Dead faith, vain faith, saves no one. That's what verse 14 says. So that's why you must read and understand the context. The context is that portion of Scripture in which said verse is found, that which is above it and below it, that, that informs you as to the meaning. You can't just take Bible verses. Listen, don't read your Bible like that. This is a rabbit trail a minute. Don't read your Bible by just opening to a verse and start reading. You have no context. You need to read it systematically. If you want to read it chronologically or according, canoniacally, that is according to this, the, 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 the books of the Bible, you want to read the New Testament, but you got to read it in its context. So that means you have to start in chapter 1 and go to chapter 50 or however, however many chapters there are. That way you get the full picture. Cherry-picking verses is, is uh, I said this a couple of Sundays ago, uh, you know, a, a, a proof text without the context is a pretext. No, what does it say? Yeah, a text without a context is a pretext to a proof text. That's the way it goes. You have to have the context. All right. Now, let's look at the first example. What I call in this example, verses 14 through 16, it says this. It's spoken faith. All right. Now, remember, we're talking about dead faith. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man, notice this, say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, listen to these nights. Doesn't this make you feel good when you read this? This poor man, he doesn't have food, he doesn't have clothing, and you are so compassionate. And you say, you say, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Does that help this man? No. Those are empty words because there is nothing following the words. Now, you would expect the words with the words would be action to follow that verifies and confirms the the veracity and genuineness of the words because the words sound very nice, but there isn't. It's just sound that goes off into the the air and falls to the ground and that's it. 
that doesn't help that poor man who doesn't have food and clothing. And by the way, if you see, if you find somebody who is truly destitute like that, who is poor, I'm not talking about necessarily a panhandler who's supporting an addiction. I'm not talking about somebody who is just looking for, just looking for some fix so they don't have to get a job. I'm talking about somebody who is destitute. We are bound to help them if we have the ability. And especially if they're a brother or sister in Christ. We are bound to help them, obligated, all right? Just as a side note. But that's not what happened here. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? In other words, it's useless. Even so, so that's the example. Here's the lesson. Here's what he's getting at. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So this is the spoken faith. Verse 18 proves that. Look at what it says. This is the key to the first, the first example. Yea, a man may, what's the next word? There it is again. Now this man, there's two men in this verse. There's two men. A man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. So the first man says, there's two men in this example. There's man A, he says, I have faith. Notice he says, I have faith. Man two says, I have works. Now notice this. Show me thy faith without thy works. Man A has faith. He is emphatic when he talks about how he believes. He is emphatic about his faith. He says it. He is so eloquent. He says just, he knows all the terminology. He knows the right way to say it. But he has nothing to verify what he says. In other words, he says he has faith, but there's nothing in his life visibly in his works that certifies that what he says and purports to believe is actually what he believes. Because faith produces fruit. It must. What we believe is what what we truly believe is that upon which we act. It produces fruit. But this man A, he says he has faith, but then there's nothing following it. How are we to believe that he has faith? All we have is his words. Man B, however, here's here's the key. It is not that man A says he has faith and man B says, I only have works. No, 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 no. Man A says he has faith, but man B says... I have faith and works. And I'm not going to tell you about my faith. I'm going to demonstrate my faith because I really believe it. It's real. He says, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So the first man, he must show his faith without his works, which is not possible except by his words, which are vain. The second man also has faith. They both have faith. The difference is the second man, his faith is genuine. It's real. How do you know? Because it affects what he does. His faith is demonstrated as authentic because it produces works that follow. So what you have here is one man has a spoken faith, The other man has a demonstrated faith. Which of those two is living faith? Obviously, the second man. 
Now, what we're not talking about, when we say living faith, do not be confused. Because, and I'll address the cults in a minute because cults love to abuse this passage. But when we say the works are with faith, that means the faith itself, due to what we believe, produces a, a lifestyle that is produces and affects what we actually do and practice. For instance, I believe that Jesus is the Lord of my life. He is the Lord of all. But does my life reflect that I believe that He is Lord? Do I submit to His Lordship? Do I yield to His will? Because if I don't, what does that say about my faith in His Lordship? Right? We say, I know the Bible says that the church is important. Church, church is where God's people meet and God says He is pleased to people to meet together, gather together and, and, uh, and, and worship Him and study His Word and fellowship together in the church. But if we say that we believe that, but then we don't actually do it, then that demonstrates that our faith is vain. And in whatever subject you want to talk about, whether it be a subject of alcohol or a subject of, you know, looking for a spouse or whatever we might, whatever little category we might have for our faith and what we believe, the way we act demonstrates what we truly believe. The next example is Abraham. Notice what it says. Verse 19 kind of is a transition. It says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The, devil also, the devils also believe and tremble. That's what I was talking about earlier. Mental assent. Mental assent. This morning. Verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered his Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. The example of Abraham. Who knows what chapter we read in verse number 21 about the sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, right? Who knows what chapter that occurs in the Bible? Genesis chapter, come on now, 22, 22, all right? But you also see in verse 23 that a verse is quoted. You see that? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith. That's a quotation. Who knows where that's quoted from? Anybody want to take a stab at that? 15? Correct. We're going to look at it. So, the sacrifice of Isaac is in Genesis 22. The statement about Abraham's faith is in Genesis 15. That's seven chapters different. There's a lot of water to win under the bridge between those two chapters. So let's look at it. Hold your place here. We'll come back to it. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, James brought up Abraham. So we're going to look at Abraham. Verse 1, 
After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? Does Abraham have children at this time? Now, he, he, his name has not even been changed to Abraham yet. It's still Abram. So this is pretty early. Verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. This was even before Ishmael was born. He didn't have any children. So this is a long time before Isaac was born. Remember, I, Ishmael was 13 when Isaac was weaned. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and he said, Look now toward, toward heaven, and tell the stars, that is, count them, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So here you have this picture. At night, God takes Abram out, just, just God and Abram, the friend of God with God. They walk out together. They look at the starry night. God takes him, as it were, by the hand, shows him, say, Abram, look up. See all these stars? Abram has no children. His wife's barren and he's old. He has no hope at all of having kids. Despite that fact, it is impossible for him to have kids. God takes him out by the hand and says, now look up. You see these stars? And you know in a place without light pollution, you can see far more stars than you can see. In Cambodia, we go out in the countryside when we would drive between our, our town and the capital city. And at night, you could, there's just so many stars because there's no light. That's what Abram saw. He saw all those stars and God made a promise. He said, you see these stars? If you can number them, that's how many of your descendants there will be. That's a promise. So you have God, you have Abram, they're together. Nobody else is around. And Abram looks up. He's, even though his wife is barren, even though Abram has, even though he's, he's, he's old, he has no children and no hope of having any children, upon, solely upon God's promise, Abram looks up and verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord. Abram saw those stars. He heard the promise of God about his seed. And despite everything, in his heart, that faith was found. At that moment, Abram believed in the Lord. That doesn't mean that believed in the Lord in this case does not mean he believed the Lord existed. He already had a relationship with the Lord. But Abram at that moment believed the word of God. And the Bible says, not what I say, look what it says. And he believed in the Lord... And he, God, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. So at that moment, he looked up, he saw the stars, his heart embraced the word of God in his heart at that moment. And God said, I see that faith. And he counted that faith at that moment as righteousness. So at that moment, Abraham was justified in the sight of God. Everybody clear on that? That's what the scripture says. Now, go to chapter 22. We will not read a lot of it just to, just to kind of pass by it to mention because chapter 22 happens many years later. 
By the, time, by the time we get to chapter 22, Ishmael's already been born. Isaac's already been born. And Isaac's already of an age. Nobody knows how old Isaac was, but Isaac was already of an age such that he could carry things, help Abraham, and he was you know, cognizant of what was going on. All the things we read about in, in the, 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 the sacrifice of Isaac there. So this has been 20, 25 years, maybe 30 Abram was justified 20, year, 20, 25, 20, 20 to 30 years before this event. And that's when God tells him to go sacrifice Isaac. Now go back to James, if you would. When it was just Abraham and God in that, out in the field there, and when Abram looked up, into the, uh, up at the stars, there was nobody else there. Nobody could see Abram's faith, not a single soul. But God saw his faith. His inward faith. Now, Abram's faith was real. But when God saw his faith at that moment, he was made just. That means righteous in the sight of God, period. That's what the Bible says. That's just Abram and God. But in Genesis 22, look at it again. I'm I'm sorry, in uh, James chapter 2, verse 23 says, or verse 21 rather, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered his son Isaac upon the altar? That's years later. But he's talking about justified by works now. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Genesis 15, 6. See it? So what happened? What happened? Many years after God saw that Abram was justified by faith, the genuineness and the reality of Abram's faith was tested on the same subject, that is his son, when he was tested to sacrifice Isaac. And by his action, his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, he demonstrated that the faith he had some 20 years later was living faith. See, dead faith would never have done that. Dead faith would have said, oh, I believe you, but never would have carried through with the sacrifice. But see, because Abram did the sacrifice, it fulfilled and perfected his faith. In other words, it demonstrated that his faith was real, genuine, not dead faith. Now, if you would, really quick, look at Romans chapter 4. Verse 1. Romans 4, verse 1. What shall we, we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Now we've, we've come up to speed. We know what, Abra- what happened with Abraham. We know when he was justified by faith, when he believed initially. We know how long it was before Isaac came along and all that. Verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith, what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. We read it. Now to him that, work, that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, 
but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So you can see in this that just like Abraham, when we believe in Christ, Abraham, Abraham is the example. God counts us righteousness, righteous, not based upon the good things we do, but upon our faith. However, just as Abraham's faith was proven some 20 years later to be true and genuine faith because his works followed, that is, his faith in God's promise that his seed would be as the stars of heaven, that is what led him to be willing to sacrifice Isaac. He believed it to the degree that he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah, that's real faith. His faith produced fruit. And so ours. The moment that we put our faith in Christ and we trust in Him to save our soul, that moment we are saved, we are justified, we are made right in the sight of God instantly. Instantly. But the reality of that faith bears fruit that follows. That's the lesson. If our faith is a living faith, it will be reflected in our works because we believe. And so we do. It's that simple. That's why Abraham sacrificed Isaac or was willing to. And that's, listen, and that's why we follow the Lord after we believe in Him. We believe in Him. It produces works. This is living faith. Now, if we say we have believed in Christ, if we give a profession of our faith, and there's no works that follow, there's no effect on our actual life and deeds, is faith that produces no verifying works a living faith? What does it testify about our faith to begin with? So what we're not saying is, oh, you got to believe in Christ and you got to do everything our religion tells you to do and then you're saved. No, no, no. We're saying you believe in Christ with true, genuine faith. At that moment, you're saved because God sees your faith. But it is impossible that that true faith will not produce works. It must, and it always does 100% of the time. This is <clears throat> why a person who believes in Christ should and must have accompanying fruit of faith because true faith produces works. Now, let me just give you a word of warning about the cults. <clears throat> cults love to use this passage in James 2 because all cult systems have a works-based system, all right? When we were in California, this was kind of an embarrassing thing that happened, but I won't tell you the embarrassing part. I'll save myself that humiliation. But we were staying at a, at a, at a, at a, a person's house. We were traveling to churches, and Jehovah's Witnesses came and knocked on our door. <clears throat> well, I went out and talked to them because they, we, at that time we were driving, y'all probably remember that big, huge van we rented and it had the, the Baptist logo on the back and all this stuff. So 
They, I mean, they knew our, they kind of knew our number. So I went out and talked to them, and of all verses, this lady, of all verses in the Bible, she chose to open her conversation with, she picked John 3.16. I thought, when she was reading it, I was thinking, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> of all verses in the Bible, you're going to read John 3.16 to me? I said, okay. I mean, if you want to go there, let's go. So she read it, and I stopped her, and I, I was a little, a little bit dishonest. I said, so according to this verse, this is what I said to her in this tone. So what you're telling me is according to this verse, if I just believe in Jesus, I'll not perish and I'll have eternal life. <laughs> That's what the verse says, right? I said, is that that's what you're saying. This verse, you're telling me this is all I've got to do? And she said, well, 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 well. And you know what she did? Immediately. She turned to J- She started flipping in her Bible toward the back of her Bible. I said, you're turning to James 2. And she went. <laughs> you know why? Because that's the go-to verse. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. We believe that a person is saved by faith. And so they say basically this. They say, you must believe all that we say is true and, because of James 2, and keep all the rules of, that our religion dictates in order to possibly be saved. Now, I'm telling you, this is, this is not one cult. This is cults in general, Christian cults. The Bible says you have to believe and keep all the commandments of God. And by the commandments of God, they don't mean the commandments of God. They mean the rules of their religion. Until you die. (laughs) Well, that's simple enough. (laughs) But the thing is, the word commandments of God is not in this passage. When it says faith, uh, if it hath not works, is dead being alone, you can't just willy-nilly define works as any and every command of God and shove it into that box and force it to say something it doesn't say. The works that it's referring to are the works that spring out of and grow out of and are the fruit of that faith, that very faith. But see, what they do is they say, they want it to say, you believe and you have to do everything we tell you to do. Then maybe, possibly, but you'll never know, you can be saved. So they want to fit every, all of their commandments into that and make it a part of their salvation. That's how it works. That's why they always run to James. But the, the passage says nothing of the commandments of God. That's not what the works are talking about. The second thing is this. I don't believe, they say you have to have faith and works. You know, that's what they say. I don't even believe the faith that they're giving me. Much less the works that they say I have to do. So the gospel, the false gospel that they're giving me, I reject that out of hand. So of course, I don't even believe it, much less follow follow through with the works that they prescribe. Again, James 2 is talking about the character of true faith, that that faith produces evidence and fruit of itself. It is, not, you're, it is not to say, well, if you don't do everything we tell you to do that our religion dictates, then you're, not, then you're not actually going to heaven. That's not what James is saying at all. 
the best defense you have for cults that use it, and I'm telling you, if you ever have a conversation with cults and you say salvation is not by works, they're going right to James 2. I mean, I mean like a bolt of lightning. You ought to know what it means. You ought to know what it says. The last example is Rahab, and this will be quick. In James 2, I lost my place in James. There we go. Verse 20. 25 and 6 says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Imagine if Rahab, who received the spies and put the scarlet thread out the, out the window, imagine if Rahab said, and, and just... I'll just read one little portion of what Rahab said because it's, you can hear the faith when she, talk, when she was talking to the spies. In Joshua 2, Rahab says this. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard, had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did, did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. It's funny because she talks about all the inhabitants melted just the same as she did. They were fearful also, but you know what they didn't have? They didn't have genuine faith because they did nothing. Their faith produced nothing. It was just words. Rahab, on the other hand, received the spies. She sided with Israel. That was the fruit of her faith. Now imagine if Rahab had just said, I believe in the God of Israel and he's going to do all these things to Jericho. But then her spoken faith was not followed by the actual works of receiving the spies. In other words, her faith did not produce the action. Would she have been saved? No. Her words would have been in vain. But Rahab, just like Peter, acted on her faith. Her faith prompted the action. And that is the characteristic of living faith. Dead faith does not have that. And you know what the result was? She was saved. And so what you have in James chapter 2, in contrast to Romans 4 and Galatians, is you have Abraham believing God and God counting him righteous at that moment, but only God sees that faith. And then you have Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and Rahab receiving the spies, and you and I can see this faith. We know Rahab believed because she received the spies. We know Abraham believed what God had told him. Even if we didn't have Genesis 15, we know Abraham believed God because even though it was his only son, he was willing to sacrifice him. He believed that God would give him a son, and his seed would be as the stars of heaven. You see, that when we talk about we're justified by works, you have to remember that the word, you got to remember in whose sight you're referring to. 
Romans and Galatians is talking about being justified in God's sight. But you can also be justified in other people's sight. And what James 2 is telling us how our faith justifies us in others' sight. He says, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. Listen, and I will show thee my faith. You see that? Justified in the sight of another. I will show thee my faith by my works. Let's pray together.